You are listening to Scripture Study Jams, a podcast scripture study companion. I'm Rachel Wilson, and for today's episode, episode two, we will be studying the introduction to the Book of Mormon. Like I mentioned in episode one, many people skip the introductory pages and start with 1 Nephi chapter one, and consequently they miss out on important contextual knowledge. Typically when people do a puzzle, for example, They look at the box in order to see how individual pieces fit within the whole. The Book of Mormon's introductory pages are like looking at the puzzle box before trying to put the puzzle together. The process becomes a whole lot easier and less frustrating when you can see the big picture. So let's dive into the introduction, shall we? The first paragraph states, The Book of Mormon is a volume of holy scripture comparable or similar to the Bible. Well, how is the Book of Mormon comparable to the Bible? Both testify of Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God and Savior of the world. Both are historical and spiritual accounts. Although the two books are set in different places, one in the Kingdom of Israel and one in the Americas, they are both about the descendants of the House of Israel. They have the same heritage, but they live in different parts of the world. President Russell M. Nelson adds that love for the Book of Mormon expands one's love for the Bible and vice versa. Scriptures of the Restoration do not compete with the Bible, they complement the Bible. Okay, so we get that the Book of Mormon is similar to the Bible, but why do we need a Book of Mormon then? Isn't the Bible enough? First of all, we need the Book of Mormon because it restores essential truths that were lost. Nephi effectively explains why we need the Book of Mormon in 1 Nephi chapter 13. He sees in a vision the record of the Jews, or the Bible, which was of great worth unto the Gentiles, because it contained the covenants of the Lord and the fullness of the gospel according to the truth which is in the Lamb of God. However, a great and abominable church was formed that wanted to pervert the right ways of the Lord to blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. They took away many parts of the gospel, which were plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord. The book went forth unto all nations of the Gentiles, and because the truth was incomplete, an exceedingly great many did stumble, insomuch that Satan had great power over them. Then Nephi sees the book of his posterity, the Book of Mormon, as well as other books, come forth by the power of the Lamb among the Gentiles. These records would establish the truth of the first, or the Bible, and restore the plain and precious truths that were lost, testifying to all that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father and the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto him or they cannot be saved. God knew we would need the fullness of the gospel as contained in the Book of Mormon in order to overcome Satan's tactics. We also need the Book of Mormon because it supports and clarifies the doctrine taught in the Bible. As Paul asserts, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Around the time Lehi left Jerusalem and Jerusalem was taken over by the Babylonians, The Lord told the prophet Ezekiel that the children of Judah would write upon the stick or wooden tablet or scroll, and the children of Joseph would write upon the stick of Ephraim. Then they'd join those two sticks together as one. As the descendants of Judah, the Jews wrote the Bible, or the stick of Judah. As the descendants of Joseph and Ephraim, Lehi and his posterity wrote the Book of Mormon, or the stick of Ephraim. 
In our day, we have joined these two sticks together as one, fulfilling the prophecy. The Lord describes to Nephi how these books will work together. The books shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions, and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins, and bringing them to the knowledge of their fathers in the latter days, and also to the knowledge of my covenants. Without the Book of Mormon, the ways you could interpret the Bible would be as infinite as the number of lines you can draw through a single point on a piece of paper. However, if on that piece of paper there is a second point, representing the Book of Mormon, how many straight lines could you draw between these two reference points? Only one. The Book of Mormon and Bible are meant to work together. Another reason we need the Book of Mormon is because we need more of God's Word to help us know how to handle our constantly changing world. Nephi prophesied that many Gentiles in our day would react to the Book of Mormon saying, A Bible, a Bible, we have got a Bible, and there cannot be any more Bible. God's response to them is, Know ye not that there are more nations than one? Know ye not that I, the Lord your God, have created all men, and I bring forth my word unto the children of men, yea, even upon all the nations of the earth? Wherefore murmur ye, because that ye shall receive more of my word? Know ye not that the testimony of two nations is a witness unto you that I am God, that I remember one nation like unto another? Wherefore I speak the same words unto one nation like unto another, for my work is not yet finished, neither shall it be until the end of man. Wherefore, because that ye have a Bible, ye need not suppose that it contains all my words, neither need ye suppose that I have not caused more to be written. So, I hope you can see, after all of this, how the Book of Mormon and Bible are meant to be used. If you use these books together, you will find clearer answers to your questions, discover new eternal truths, and comprehend the gospel on a deeper level than if you only relied on one. The first paragraph also describes that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel. How can we have the fullness if not everything has been revealed yet? Christ himself defines the fullness of the gospel as the Father sent Christ to do his will. God's will was for Christ to be lifted up on the cross, draw all men unto him, and judge them of their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. Those who repent and are baptized in Christ's name will be filled with the Holy Ghost. If they endure to the end, Christ will hold them guiltless before the Father. Those who do not endure to the end by washing their garments in Christ's blood with faithfulness unto the end will be hewn down and cast into the fire because no unclean thing can enter into his kingdom. Therefore, the fullness of the gospel in this context means any truth essential for someone to develop faith in Christ, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost, enter to the end, and ultimately receive eternal life. These truths are known as the doctrine of Christ. The Book of Mormon's purpose was never to teach all truth that exists. Instead, it teaches the doctrine of Christ more clearly and powerfully than any other book. Paragraph 2 refers to the spirit of prophecy and revelation, Quick review from last week's episode, the spirit of prophecy and revelation is defined as a testimony of Jesus Christ and the ability to receive communication from God. So this paragraph is asserting that the Book of Mormon was written by men called of God to be special witnesses of Christ and share the truths revealed to them. Paragraph 2 also refers to Mormon and the Nephites, Lamanites, and Jaredites, which we talked about in episode 1, but I want to give you a quick timeline of these events and people. 
The Tower of Babel was being constructed around 2500 to 2200 BC. After God confounded the language of the people, a group called the Jaredites came to the Americas, thrived, then were completely destroyed by wickedness, all in the span sometime between 2200 BC and 600 BC. Then Lehi and his family came to the Americas from Jerusalem in 600 BC. Around 575 BC, Lehi's family split into the Nephites and Lamanites. So there is a very quick condensed history of those people. The last sentence of paragraph 2 states that the Lamanites are among the ancestors of the American Indians. Although many Latter-day Saints assume that the people of the Book of Mormon were the first or the largest or even the only groups to settle the Americas, the Book of Mormon itself never claims that its people were either the predominant or the exclusive inhabitants of the lands they occupied. There is actually textual evidence that other groups existed at the time. The introduction was changed in 2006 to clarify understanding that the Lamanites are among, not the only, ancestors of the American Indians. In reference to paragraph 3 about Christ's visit to the Americas, the exact year he visited is unknown, although many have their own opinions about it. Again, the paragraph emphasizes the Book of Mormon's purpose is to teach the doctrine of Christ, outlined by Christ himself, as well as prophets called by God. Now that we've learned more about the first paragraphs, let's focus a little on the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Here's how the event of paragraph 4 happened according to Joseph Smith himself. Joseph describes that before Moroni visited him between 1820 and 1823, he was struggling to overcome severe persecution due to his vision of God and Jesus Christ, and he was experiencing all kinds of temptations. He struggled with feelings of inadequacy, believing that his weakness of levity and keeping around jovial company was not consistent with that character of one called of God. On September 21st, 1823, in the midst of his struggle, he prayed, asking for forgiveness and a manifestation to know where he stood before God. Moroni appeared to him as a glorified being in robes of white, telling Joseph that God had a work for him to do, connected with golden plates containing the fullness of the gospel. Joseph saw in a vision where the plates were deposited and was told that when the time came to obtain the plates, he should not show them to anyone but to those whom he was commanded to show them. Moroni came back twice more that evening, repeating the same information. Joseph was also taught the importance of handling the plates with pure motives, as Satan would tempt him to sell the plates to help his family financially. The morning after this experience, Joseph fainted in exhaustion and awoke to Moroni, commanding him to tell his father of Moroni's messages. After hearing everything, his father told him it was of God and that he should obey. Joseph acted immediately, and using his memory of the vision, he found the plates and other tools in a stone box in the hill Cumorah. He was 17 years old at the time. Moroni appeared and told him to come back each year to receive instructions before he could take the plates four years later. This means the phrase, in due course, in paragraph 5, probably means this four-year period before the plates were delivered to Joseph. In 1827, at age 21, Joseph began translating the plates. Unfortunately, the book of Lehi, or the first 116 pages, were lost and never retranslated. Because others had retained the manuscript, they could alter its pages and discredit Joseph's second translation. Thankfully, the spiritual history of the Nephites recorded on the small plates was not lost because God had commanded Nephi to provide two accounts of the same period. 
Thank goodness that Nephi listened to promptings. Joseph with Oliver Cowdery as scribe completed the bulk of translation between April and June 1829. They completed 531 pages in about 65 days. Emma Smith, Martin Harris, and John Whitmer also participated as scribes. After completing translation, Joseph accounts that when, according to arrangements, Moroni called for the plates, I delivered them up to him, and he has them in his charge. In order to print the Book of Mormon, Joseph obtained a copyright, finished the translation, and sent the manuscript to the printer, E.B. Grandin, who consented to print 5,000 copies of the book, which was a lot at the time. To pay for the printing costs, Martin Harris sold 151 acres of his farm. By 1830, the Book of Mormon was available for purchase at Grandin's bookstore. The translation process reveals why Joseph said that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth. Unlike the Bible that went through many translations, the Book of Mormon only went through one. Joseph also describes the Book of Mormon as the keystone of our religion. A keystone is the center stone of an arch that locks everything together. In a similar way, the Book of Mormon locks together eternal doctrine and principles, and it locks together different parts of our personal testimonies. If the Book of Mormon is true, if the testimonies of Joseph, the three witnesses, and the additional eight witnesses are real, then as the last paragraph states, we also know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that Joseph Smith was called as a prophet in the modern day, and that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints really is the same church that Christ established himself. Without the Book of Mormon, the arch would crumble. That is why it is crucial to ask the question, is the Book of Mormon true? If the answer is yes, then you have found Christ's church and can safely build your life around the truths received through modern-day prophets called of God. Every person can know for themselves the answer to this important question. If a person reads the Book of Mormon, ponders in their heart the message it contains, then asks God the crucial question, truly believing they will receive an answer and willing to act upon that answer, they will receive a testimony of its truth and divinity by the power of the Holy Ghost. Because the Book of Mormon is the keystone, once that testimony is obtained, a person can know the truth of each doctrine or principle that stems from it. The ultimate test of truth is not only reading the book, but applying the principles. My invitation to you this week is to test Joseph's assertion that someone who decides to live what the Book of Mormon teaches will get nearer to God than by any other book. So apply a truth you find in your study this week and notice how it influences your relationship with God. Well, give yourself an encouraging pat on the back for making the time to study the scriptures today. Your knowledge of the context or background of the Book of Mormon will enrich your study this week. Join me in the next episode as we explore the written testimonies of the three witnesses, eight witnesses, and Joseph Smith. Remember to check out my blog at www.scripturestudy.wixsite.com jams. Thanks so much for listening.